Amen and amen. Well, we have been, uh, guys, in the midst of a series entitled Thrive, uh, five things that every man needs uh, to thrive uh, instead of just surviving, learning to live and move in life and jobs and relationships uh, and with our health and every way, uh, in a way that God honors and God blesses us. And we're in the fifth part of that. If you missed any of those, you can go back and you can find those. Uh, but if you go back to lesson number one, week number one, when when we talk about five things every man needs to thrive and not just survive. Uh, first week we said, I need a power to live on. I need power to live on. And we looked at that and how do we get that power? The second week we said, we all need rules to live by, right? Uh, we don't like rules, uh, but we talked about the reality of rules are good for us. They keep us in bounds in our, in our lives, in our personal journey, in our morality, with our relationships, with our jobs. And we looked at some of those rules. Lesson number three, we looked at, uh, I need a game plan to live out. I need a game plan to live out. So I need power to live on, rules to live by. I need a game plan to live out. And then last week, I said, we all need a mission to live for. We all need a mission to live for. And we talked about how do I define my mission? What should my mission look like? Uh, how do I accomplish my mission? And so here's the fifth one. And guys, I want to invite you to write this down. And this is true for every man in this room. I need a band of brothers to live with. I need a band of brothers to live with. Uh, guys, life is not a solo sport. God didn't ask us to be born, to live, to achieve, to journey through life, to live for self, to live alone, to struggle alone, to go through the dark, dark spaces alone, to celebrate on the mountaintop alone. God created us as relational beings. And guys, every man in this room needs some other men who will walk with you. When we isolate ourselves, we are most prone uh, to fall back into our own habits and our own struggles. And, and I want you to know, I'm talking beyond your relationship with your wife and your kids. Uh, I'm talking beyond just your relationship uh, with those in your family. We need some other guys to walk with us. With. We need some guys that when, we, um, uh, when we're on the winter stand, that we can share that achievement with them. We need some guys when we've fallen off the path where they can look at us and they can put us back on the path. We need some guys when we just need a word of encouragement, they can look at us and say, man, just keep running. Just keep running. And the same goes for us delivering those same manages, those same messages and, uh, and celebrating those same achievements and in same encouragements and lifting someone else up. That's how God created us as men. And we're going to go look to a passage. And if you remember the whole, um, the whole series, this whole series comes from Proverbs chapter 17, verse 24, where um, Solomon said, A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. A discerning person keeps wisdom in view. And so we've been looking at all five of these categories of how can we be wise as we make our journey in life. But a fool's eyes wander to the end of the earth. If we are always letting our eyes wander, we'll never establish strong relationships. We'll never find a band of brothers that we can live with, that we can make the journey with. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Let me ask you a question. Which is better, wealth or companionship? Which one's better, 
Wealth or relationships? Some of y'all are thinking. How many of you would, okay, let's say it's not an either or. How many of you would rather have wealth than not have wealth? Okay, some of y'all are just just sinking in. We would all would, right? Um, But how many of you would rather have relationships without wealth? Okay, we all still want some wealth, right? That's kind of a tough thing. How many of you, let's be honest, I want you to know. uh, I don't want a bunch of good friends and no money. I just, I would like to have a lot of both, right? But I want you to know, as we look through these words here, uh, if you have wealth without relationships, you are going to be hollow. You're going to be prone to fall. You're going to be prone to... I'm going to show you a, a passage in Scripture uh, that Solomon talks about. And we're in Ecclesiastes, by the way. And I'm going to show you a passage in Scripture where, where he says, basically, I pity the man that amasses great wealth, yet has no one to share it with. I pity the man that amasses great wealth, but is totally alone. And that's part of what we need to understand, that as I journey towards success and wealth and achievement, that I need others to be there with me to celebrate with me, to applaud, to high-five me. And I'm not talking about your wife. This is not something, if we look in God's Word, we're going to see some things here. And I'm going to show you a passage that's very familiar to you. And my guess is, when you hear this passage talked about, and I've actually heard it preached this way, you're going to immediately think of your wife. And I'm going to show you from context, he's not talking about your wife. There are things that our wives cannot provide for a man that we need the respect and the relationship of other men. We need other guys in our lives. When we begin to fall off the path, sometimes our wives can get us back on the path, but sometimes we know how to Heisman our wives. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Now, you let another man look me in the eye. Now, I might end up in a fight club, or I might separate myself, but let me tell you, the weight of another man's words in my life when I am deviating from the path, they can be weighty, they can be painful, but they are definitely needed. And guys, every guy in this room, every guy in this room needs a band of brothers you can live with, that you can make a journey with. What's better, uh, I think Solomon would clearly say companionship is better. Now. Solomon was pretty wealthy. So Solomon would say companionship or relationships and wealth is much better. How many of you would agree with that? I want both. I don't want it to be an either or. And Solomon says that. Solomon, wealthiest guy in the world. But he says, listen, if all you have is one without the other, you're missing the point. He says, if all you can choose is one and not the other, choose companionship, choose relationships, choose people. Why? So you can encourage yourself and you can make your journey in life. when we think about our relationships, uh, we've heard this quote over and over again. As a matter of fact, I, I don't even know who first said it. I began to dig over the last week just trying to figure out who said it, who said it. Really, you can't find out. It's attributed to about 100,000 people, all right? Y'all have heard the statement. I went out to look for a friend, and they were nowhere. I went out to be a friend, and I found them everywhere. How many of you have ever heard that quote before? 
So as we think about it, guys, uh, don't go out looking for friends. Just start being friends. And at some point, that chemistry will work. That, that, that connection will be there. That relationship will be there. As we journey through life, I can think, uh, think of, probably like many of you, I can think of seasons or perhaps decades or, uh, or groups of five years in my life where I was really close with someone. Right? I'm talking about another dude. But because of transitions in life and maybe job changes or relocations or, or just transitions in our kids' lives, right? How many of you were really good friends with people when your kids were really young and then as they grew up, they lived in different school districts and your kids never hung out together and your kids got different friends and all of a sudden that relationship is gone? How many of you know what I'm talking about? But how many of you have those one or two people that I can think back to? that you can think back to, that it doesn't matter if I haven't talked to them in two months. The moment I sit down or I pick up the phone, it's like we just ended the conversation. Anybody have anybody like that in your life? For me, I, I've got a guy, and he's my, goes all the way back to high school with me, and he was my college roommate, and I've met a lot of good friends and still have a lot of good friends, but his name's Keith Wright. And Keith and I were college roommates together, and we've been in the same city. We've not been in the same city, but it's almost as if as soon as we pick it up, we know what we're going to talk about. If we're talking, if, if something happened in the Baylor game and I call him or he calls me, that's the first thing he says, yeah, I saw it. You know, or if the Astros win a game, we're both Houston guys. Yeah, man, I, how, do you think they're going to be able to do it? That's the way it is. And you know, I hadn't seen him in a while, and last Wednesday I got a call that he had had a heart attack. Showed up, he's fine, but you know what? You're sitting in the room going, that's my brother right there. And you know what? I know he'd do the same for me. And so guys, as we make a journey and as we go through life, there are going to be those people that we have those relationships, and there is nothing wrong with that two-year relationship that spreads apart, guys. There's nothing wrong with the five-year relationship that goes a different way, but we need those relationships. Now, you may not be one of those that you have a lifelong friend, and they may not be in the same city anymore, but the truth is we all need relationships. So if you find yourself in a season right now, where you don't feel like you have any close relationships, I hope today is the challenge for you to figure out how can I begin to walk with some dudes again? Some guys that I like, some guys that I respect, some guys that I'm willing to share with, some guys that I'm willing to open up to and let God move in my life. So let me give you a couple of thoughts as we think about I need a, I need a band of brothers to live with. I'm just going to give you Solomon's words, and it's right there from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, go look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to get to the place that many of you are familiar with. Uh, a cord of three strands is easily, easily broken. But I need to go back, and I need to set the context for you. And really, that verse... That little phrase, a cord of three strands, is, is not easily broken. How many of you have heard that before? You've all heard it, right? We all know it. Really, that's the icing on the cake. A lot of times we think, that's the, that's the model. I want you to know there are times that people say, well, that is the model for discipleship groups. I want you to know it's not. Uh, some people say, well, that, is, that means there always needs to be three guys that are in a deep prayer group together. It's not. Now, it's not a bad model. I'm not saying it's a bad model. But what I'm also saying is that when he gets to that, this is basically a closing proverb. He could have used four. He could have used five. He could have used six. 
he could have used 10, all right? Does that make sense? So I want you to know three is not the magic number because you just need to go back and you need to see in context. Anytime you take a passage in Scripture, you've got to look at the context. The context is he's going to talk, first of all, if you jump back to verse 7, you're ready for the first number? So we're going to go number one, number two, and number three. You're going to see it when you look at the context. Go back to verse 7, and he says, The number one, for a man, there's a senselessness. Write that down, a senselessness to the number one. If we live our lives alone, all by ourselves, that makes no sense. And look at the analogy that he uses in verse 7. He says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man. Everybody say a man. There was a man who was all alone. You know what he's saying? That's meaningless. A guy that is all alone is meaningless. That is a waste of who you are. So we're talking about the number one, then we're going to get to number two, and we're going to end up at number three, which number three could be 20. All right? So he says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man who was all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He says, for whom am I toiling for, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of life's enjoyment? He says, this too is meaningless. It's a miserable business. Now, you might think, well, he didn't have any brothers or he didn't have a son. I want you to know the Hebrew word there for brother is an adult male companion. He's talking about someone to walk through life with. When you hear, oh, he had no son, he had no brother, I want you, first thing you might say, well, uh, the, uh, he didn't have kids or he never got married or, or his wife died early. That's not the idea here. If you look at the Hebrew words there, he's really talking about he didn't have any companion. This word son is not little bitty son. Okay, the, the, there is a Hebrew word that will talk about a little three-year-old son or a four-year-old son. He's talking about a son who's a man. It's kind of interesting how many of you have made that transition in your relationships with your kids where you are now having conversations with your kids that they're an adult, you're an adult, which for me means they pay their own way. All right? And, and it's so good now to, to have those conversations with Jace and Jordan. And I know the end of the road isn't, hey, and by the way, could you put a little money in my account? It changes the dynamic of the relationship when you can sit there and talk about business and Jay's trying to do his roofing business and, and Jordan, how are things going at TI? And you're just having a conversation. Why? That's what he's talking about here. He's not saying this guy had no offspring. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he didn't have a man to walk with. He didn't have a son who was an adult that he could have a conversation with. This guy actually could have had a wife. But what he's saying, he didn't have any friends. There was a senselessness to one. Notice what it says. He says, man, there was a man who just simply said, there's no end to this toil, yet his eyes were never content with his wealth. What does that mean? That instead of pausing for relationships and growing relationships and building relationships, this man just built his kingdom. Notice what Solomon said. This too is meaningless. Guys, if this is where you are 
and you are living life alone and you are building your kingdom alone and you're amassing wealth for yourself and you don't have other men that are celebrating your achievements. Let me tell you what, here's what I know. I can preach a bad Sunday, bad sermon. And I look at Gina and she's going to say, no, it's good. She's going to do that 52 times this year. Guess what I know? How many of you know in, my, in your heart? Maybe you know from experience that I'm not going to preach 52 good sermons. How many of y'all know that? Uh, thanks for not all of y'all racing. Oh, I appreciate you. Yeah, I've got a special place in purgatory for you. What are our wives going to do? They're going to build us up, right? They're going to look us in the eye and lie to us. Why? Because they know we have paper-thin egos. Right? But let me tell you what. When a dude walks up to me that I may know real well, and he goes, Pastor, you've been nailing it the last couple of weeks. Let me tell you what. That speaks volumes. And let me tell you what, when you get promoted at the office and you can look at a peer or a guy that you grew up with and you can say, man, something great happened in my life. I got the promotion I've been praying about or we've been looking for. Let me tell you what, when another man high fives you, how many of you know it matters? It matters, guys. This guy had climbed his own corporate ladder. He had no one to share it with. And Solomon says, that's meaningless. Why? Because, guys, if we're going to thrive... We've got to have a band of brothers to live with that we can celebrate, that we can knuckle, that we can high-five, that we can elbow, that we can laugh and kid about, that we can make fun of. Well, man, I blow it. They can pick on me, and I can go, yeah, you know, yeah, I kind of could have done better. And as you think through this, uh, um, man, this guy was obsessed with money and human, human accomplishments, and he neglected genuine relationships. Um, and, and instead of enjoying life, um, he lived everything for self. Why? Man, he says, ultimately, wealth is meaningless compared to companions. If I have to choose, give me friends. If I have to choose, give me some other men to walk along with me. Now, hopefully I don't have to choose between making money and having friends. And most of us don't have to choose, guys. But many of us choose. I want to say that again. Most of us don't have to choose. But we choose anyway. We choose, I'm going to live for me. I'm going to amass my money for me. I'm going to live for everything. I'm going to schedule around me, and I'm not going to schedule in the relationships. And let me tell you what, Solomon says, that's meaningless. Somebody tell me in here, when Solomon took over office as the king after David, what did he pray for? Wisdom. Did God grant him wisdom? So you got a guy that prayed for wisdom, that God granted wisdom, who just said, if you do life alone, you're going to come to the end of your days with no male companionship, no strong relationships, and you're going to find it's meaningless. Are we willing to listen to his words? He says there's a senselessness to one. As I thought about this, um, 
You know, so what does this mean? I, uh, I was just saying, God created us for relationships. Man, it's basic, it's intrinsic to us. Uh, we have a need com for companionship, for other men to look us in the eye, uh, to celebrate all things, our wealth and our achievements and our success uh, and even our power. But if we have none of those things, they are all meaningless. Uh, I think his conclusion is something like this. The person who constantly pursues wealth at the expense of strong relationships is a fool and is ultimately sacrificing the meaningful at the altar of the meaningless. If we pursue wealth and power and achievement and not relationships, we are sacrificing the most meaningful, meaningful thing we can have in our lives at the altar of something that we're going to find is completely meaningless. So there's the first number. Number one, there's a senselessness, guys, to living all alone and choosing to live for self. Now, there's another number, and we're going to find it as we pick it up in verse 12. He says not only is there a senselessness to one, he says there's a security in two. Here's the second number, ready? There's a senselessness to one, but there's security in two. You say, where do you say that? Now, if you look at these next few verses, if you look at verse 9, 10, 11, and 12, he really gives us a number of examples. He wants to illustrate the security of two. So notice the first example. He says, two have a better return. How many of you know what I'm talking about? He says, two have a better return. Here's example number one. If there's senselessness to one, there's security in two. Number one, he says, two have a better return for their labor. Look at what it says in uh, verse 9. He says, Two are better than one. Why is that? Because they have a good return for their labor. Well, let's just take that on the surface level. What does that mean? Two dudes can get more work done than one. How many of you know what I'm talking about? I mean, two can do it, right? We can lift more. We can build more. We can carry more. It didn't matter what you are. Two are better than one. I mean, one guy can get some work done. But two guys, if they're both pulling, the, pulling in the same direction, working at the same pace, doing the same thing, they can get more done together than one could do alone. Now, I will tell you, there is some things in my life, especially as your kids growing up, uh, that there are times that you're like, I can do it better by myself. How many of you experienced that, right? Let's don't, let's don't acknowledge the obvious that, man, when someone, when my kids are around, projects take longer. You just get away and let me put your present together, right? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Uh, and, or, or Gina, you know, hey, stop reading the directions, all right? I can get this thing done, right? Uh, I can't tell you how many Christmas presents we took back to Toys R Us because I messed them up. I don't know these things go in there, but it won't spin. You know, there are many times like that, but two are better than one. Why? Because there's security. We're going to have a greater return for our label, labor. But remember, back in their context, they were getting hurt all the time. They could struggle all the time. Man, they were agrarians. They were shepherds. It's not like us that we sit at our computer and we can pretty much bang on the keyboard all day long. That day they had to hoe, they had to plow, they had to get things done, they had to move, they had to, they had to herd. Two were better than run. Why? Because they had better return for their labor. That word labor, by the way, if you might want to write this down, that Hebrew word labor is a generic. It's not just talking about when it says the work that we're doing. It's not just talking about a paycheck. He's talking about way more. That word generic, that Hebrew word is very generic. He's talking about life's endeavors. 
not just occupational labor or earnings. Uh, he, he says, life's just better when you do it with someone. How many of you want to go to a football? Say, let's say Eagles are coming into town. Doug Peterson's already said they're going to come here and here and wear us out. I mean, Eagles quarterback, uh, Eagles coach. I kind of like that in a coach. That'd be nice to have a little moxie in a coach. Uh, no slander there. But if someone gave you tickets, wouldn't you want to? What if, what if I said, hey, I've got some tickets I'm going to give you afterwards, and I walk up, and I just gave you one ticket? And you say, is this all there is? What if I gave you two tickets? How many of you would prefer to have two tickets instead of one ticket? Absolutely, right? Because there's something in us that would say, do I really want to roll in with 100,000 people and be all alone? See, we get that down here, don't we? I mean, in our mind's eye, we get that. But a lot of times when it comes to life, that's the way we live. We live in a crowded space and a crowded life, but we live it with one ticket. And guys, we've got to have other people to journey along with us. Man, they have a better return. That word labor, it's not just talking about putting money in my pocket, all right? Because sometimes the, your best friend, the one that you enjoy life with the most, the one that when something goes right, you call and they high-five you, that guy, he may not actually put more money in your pocket, but you're doing life together. This is way more. So don't you, you're missing the point and the beauty of this Hebrew word if all you think is money in my pocket. I've got to find a partner for my accounting firm or my engineering firm. That's not what he's talking about here. This is not a business lesson. As a matter of fact, if you know anything, some of, some of the worst uh, uh, decisions you'll ever may, make will be going into business. You just look at them in a partnership, right? How many of you have heard of friends that, yeah, they're, no, 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 I want to build my business. So I want you to know, um, if this was talking about your business, then the biblical mandate would be never go into business alone. Well, just look at the world. Partnerships fall apart all the time. That's not the biblical mandate. The biblical mandate is don't do life alone. Because if you succeed in your business, you're going to have someone to celebrate. If your team scores, you're going to have someone to cheer with. If I give you one ticket and you go to the game and the Cowboys score, you're going to be on YouTube because you're going to be that guy up there high-fiving no one. Anybody ever seen the misses? There's nothing like the celebration miss where you're kind of like, What he's saying is, if, guys, if we live life alone, we're going to miss. And he's not just talking about money. He's talking about relationships. Here's kind of the conclusion to this first example. Two are better than one because they have a greater, greater return for their labor. Here's my conclusion. Here's a living life with others yields no regrets. Guys, living life with others yields no regrets regret. Look at the second example he gives. He says if there's a senseless in the one, two can help each other out. Two can help each other out. First example, two have a better return for their labor. Here's the second one, two can help each other out. Look at what it says. And by the way, he gives both a negative and a positive here. Uh, look at it in verse 10. He says if either one falls, uh, if either one of them falls, one can help them up. That's the positive. 
Here's the negative. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Why are two better than one? Mutual support. If someone falls in a pit, and I want you to know there, there's analogous here that in, when you look at the Hebrew word, there were times that they would fall in a pit, right? You can go look at the king, king of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, when he began to fle- uh, flee across the field, it says they were filled with marshy pits, and it says many of the men would fall in the pits. And pity the man who fell in the pit and didn't have someone help him out of the pit, because you weren't going to get out of the pit, right? He's saying, listen, generically, there are times when we fall in pits physically. All right, we fall in a hole. Uh, in those days, if they were shepherds and they were walking through uh, these crevices, there were times that they would just fall in a pit. They would fall down. And what happened? They needed someone to help them out. There's a physical pit. But I'll tell you, um, there, this, this word's talking about way more than just a physical pit. I think he's saying sometimes we have a lapse in judgment. Pity the man that falls in a pit of his own lapse in judgment. I think the Hebrew word here would talk about pity the man who falls morally and has no one to pick him up. Pity the man who is hurt physically and has no one to help him out. Pity the man That's the negative. The positive is, guys, if you have a lapse in judgment, you have someone walking along beside you, they're going to pick you up. And you can look them right in the eye and say, I screwed that one up. And you know what? Your best friend's going to look you right in the eye and go, yeah, you pretty much screwed that one up. But we're going to get out of this. Does that make sense? You're making a journey in life and you, have a, you fall back again, moral judgment and moral lapse of somehow. And you can look at a guy in your eye, guy in the eye that you know they love you. You can say, I pretty much screwed that one up. And they can look at you in the eye and they're not, not going to sugarcoat it. These are not the guys that are going to say, well, you know, it could happen to anyone. You know, your best friends, what are your best friends sometime going to do to you? Look at you. Yeah, you're pretty much an idiot. I'd rather some of my best friends, that that's, I respond better than anybody else respond. Just give me a little sarcasm, right? Just look me in the eye and say, yep, you're pretty much an idiot, John Mark. And I go, okay, now I feel better. Now what should I do, right? That's the way I like to be challenged and encouraged by my friends. Man, if I fall down, either in lapse in judgment or a struggle or something's going on in my life, I will tell you the last thing I want someone to do is come up and put their arm around me. First of all, I don't like someone to put their arm around Don't touch me. I'm a non-toucher, by the way. I do believe in touching. I'm a big fan of alone. But, man, that's not the way I am. I'm not the kind of person. Some guys are that way. They love to come up and hug and they tear up. and That is not me. All right? I'm not a touchy and feely guy. I want someone to walk up. I want to share with them what's going on. I want them to look at me and say, if I messed up, yeah, you messed that up. And then I want them to say, all right, here's how we're going to fix it. And listen, I'm here for you. I want some dude to look me in the eye and say, I believe in you. And I believe what you did is not who you are. It's just what you did. How many of you understand the difference between those two? There is a massive difference, guys, between what we did and who we are. And Satan will continually try to lure us into that trap to doing something 
that's not consistent with who we want to be. And pity the man, whether it's morally or financially or relationally or uh, business decisions, pity the man who falls and has no one that can help him up. But blessed is the man that falls and has someone that can help him up. So here's my conclusion to that idea. Living life with mutual support yields no regrets. Yields no regrets. Here's the third example. You ready for the third example of two? Uh, if there's a senselessness to one, two can keep warm together. All right? Now, I will tell you, two can keep warm together. This is one of the verses that is used a lot in relationship to marriage, and this Hebrew word has zero to do with marriage. All right? Now, I do understand the biology of this. I do understand the anatomy. But that is not what's being talking about. This is not talking about sharing a bed with your bride. All right? You say, Pastor, then what is it talking about? Let me, let me read it to you. Now notice what it says. Uh, two can keep warm. He says, Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 11. He says, also, if two lie down together, they keep warm together. But how can one keep warm alone? This verse, this Hebrew word here, two can keep warm together. There, there, there's no, there's zero. Everybody say zero. There's zero connotation of the marital bed here. None. What are they talking about? They're talking about days when people who are travelers in Israel in those cold winter nights, how many of you know what I'm talking about, that they're moving from place to place, they're on a journey, they might show a, set up a little, a little tent, they might put together a little lean-to, and you got two dudes that are out there and they're freezing their buttocks off. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And what do they do? How do they stay warm? They walk over and they turn the heater up, right? No, they don't have sleep number beds where they can adjust. What do two men do who are traveling? They set up in the warmest place they can get. They scoot real close to each other. They both take their outer garments off and they make a double layered blanket and they sleep right next to each other. Anybody ever seen the movie Planes, Trains and Automobiles? <laughs> Y'all remember that? You had John Candy and uh, Steve Martin and they're laying in bed and then you see all of the things that John Candy has eaten over the night. And uh, well, If I remember it, some of y'all probably have it totally memorized. Candy leans over and they've kind of cuddled up and he kisses him in the ear and then all of a sudden Steve Martin... See, that just kind of makes my skin call right there, guys. <laughs> I want y'all to know. Some of y'all have been on snow ski trips with me. And y'all think I'm being very magnanimous as the pastor when we walk in and you got a bedroom here and a double bed there and a bedroom here and a double bed there and a couch. And I'll say, y'all take the bed, I'll take the couch. Let me tell you why. I don't want you dudes touching me ever. <laughs> ever. All right? So I want you to know, don't think. You've been in that room. Remember first year we roomed together. How many of you know what I said? I said, you guys take the rooms. And he was so impressed. Brian, I'm really busting the bubble right now. And I, he, he says, man, we're doing devotions in the morning. He goes, man, I'm just impressed that the pastor of the church slept on the couch. You should be impressed. <laughs> but let me tell you what, the pastor of this church would rather sleep on the couch than touch you in the middle of the night. Amen. 
Back to planes, trains, and automobiles, something really important, right? Remember John Candy's kissing him on the ears, and, and then all of a sudden Steve Martin begins to wake up, if I remember it, and he, he goes, why are you kissing me in the ear? Then John Candy said, why are you holding my hand? And then he says, where's your other hand? How many of you remember what was said next? Between two pillows. How about them bears? Right? That football game, we're going all the way there. You know, the, the reality of it is, in these days, this connotation here, guys, is two dudes freezing their tail off in the middle of the night with no central heat. This has nothing to do with the marriage bed. He's saying, guys, there are going to be cold seasons in your life. There are going to be cold seasons in my life uh, that, that my wife can't fix. Does that make, how many of you understand what, my wife can't fix certain things in my life. Then I need another man's blanket. I need another man's advice. I need his wisdom. I need his warmth. I need his encouragement. I need him to look me in the eye and say, John Mark, it's time you suck it up. John Mark, it's time you get back on the horse. Sometimes it's, John Mark, it's time to stop making stupid decisions. I dug you out of the pit. Remember just previous verse? He goes, once. Remember back 10 years ago? And then I dug you out of the pit five years ago, and now I'm digging you out of the pit here. It's time for you to stop falling in the pit. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Guys, that's what he's saying. Two can keep warm. He's not talking about the marriage bed. He's talking about men need other men. So here's my conclusion to this one, if you think about it. Keeping warm companions and adult men and relationships around you prepares you for the cold seasons of life as well as the cold enemies you might face and will yield you no regret. Will yield you no regret. Here's example number four. You ready? He says, if there's a senselessness of one, two can fight back to back. See, this is where he turns to the adversary, the enemies, those that are out there that are trying to take you out and knock you down. I love what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. He says, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Yeah, he's talking about the fight club now. He's talking about the fight club. He's talking about boys. Sometimes we may not go around looking for a fight, but we find ourselves in a fight. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And he goes, let me tell you what, when you're in the fight of your life, you want a guy you can fight back to back with. And as you think about that, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. This is a fight to the death against an enemy or a foal or somebody or an animal in those days. Some sort of physical attack. That word Hebrew, that Hebrew word uh, overpowered can also not just talk about an animal that lurches on you that jumps on you as you walk through these crevices or these places, the, the lion or something that's up in the tree that can jump you. You want to know how else this word can be used? A thief, a bandit along the way. Overpowered by a thief, an animal, a bandit, somewhere else, somebody we know. And, and it's just kind of a general word. Uh, as, you, as you think about uh, 
this, man, as I think about fighting, it, it reminds me of uh, that Christian singer, Kobe T, Co Toby Keith. How many of you know Toby Keith? Anybody love, love the song, I Ain't As Good As I Once Was? Remember, hey, Dave, right? Remember, he says, listen, my old buddy, I've hung out with him since grade school. He says, man, he's over there swindling some guys in pool. And he goes, I need a little help here. And what's his answer? Well, I ain't as good as I once was, but I might be as good once, right, as I ever was. I mean, the reality of it is there are guys that we need to fight with. That when you go into the fight of your life, that you pick up the phone and you call someone. You say, I need you to be here. And that guy will walk up. First thing he'll do is he'll hug you around the neck. He'll shake your hand. Then he'll put his back up against your back and say, let's go get it. Let's go fight it. So here's my conclusion to this, this, is, this thought of safety is found in numbers. And when you are in the fight of your life, having companions to fight alongside you will leave you no regret. So if senselessness of one and two is better than one, three has to be better than two. Now let's get down and I want to show you what I think many people miss here because they think that word three really has a lot to say that that's the magic number. The strength of three, three is better than two. So if one is senselessness, two is better, but three is even better still. Notice what he says in verse 12. He says, a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Now, we can go in the Bible and we can find a lot of important threes. How many of you think the Trinity is kind of an important three? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. This is a good time to answer yes, whether you're a Christian or not, guys. All right? That's a great three. All right? But I want you to know, if you think about it, as men... And you can see this through God's Word. I need God in my life. I need friends in my life. And I need a church to serve with. That's a pretty good three right there, guys. That's a pretty good three. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I, I love um, what he said. He says, every Christian community must realize that not only do the weak need the strong, but the strong cannot exist without the weak. The elimination of the weak will ultimately mean the death of the fellowship. Do you get what I'm talking about? He's saying a lot of times people want, and I've actually had men in our church, I've had men in our church come to me, right, especially right after we built this worship center, and a lot of new baby believers or unbelievers started coming to the church. They would come in, they would talk to me about what are we going to do about all these baby believers? What are we, not how are we going to disciple, but how are we going to send them away? They're sitting in my chair, they're been in my space, they're parking in my place. I mean, we need to understand that that's where we are. We need both weak and strong. Guys, in your relationships, you need some weak guys and some strong guys. You need some spiritually mature guys and some spiritually immature guys. You need some guys that you can bring along. You need some guys that can push you along, right? You might be the weak dude. Well, if you're the weak dude, go find other weak dudes. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Find someone weaker still. So there's a strength when we think about that number, man. What does it mean? The Proverbs, as we think about it, move. But I want you to know this number here, he's just doing a sequencing. He's saying one is senseless, two is better, three is even better. Guess what he would also say? Four might be better than that. Five's even better. If you can get six, have six. If you can land seven awesome friends, take seven awesome friends. If you can do eight, do eight. He's not saying three's the magic number. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Anybody in here in a life group, you've got some friends. Let me tell you what, there are times when I need five. 
Why? Because that's how big the enemy is. How many of you know what I'm talking about? There are times I just need one solid dude. Just give me one. There are times I need a band of brothers to stand beside me because this fight is a fight to the death. And guys, that's what we need to remember and that's where we need to roll on. So here's my conclusion of this. You ready? As you, as you follow it through, let me jump to the next little passage in the verse. Where is it? Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. Better to be a young fool than a stubborn old fart. That's a loose translation. See, some of you are stubborn. You're going to keep trying to live life alone. What does Solomon say? It's better to be a young fool than a king who no longer takes a warning. Why? What's going to happen to that king? He's going to lose his kingdom. Guys, some of you might be in the prime of your life and everything seems to be going well. The ball seems to be rolling downhill. The sun's on your face and the wind's at your back. And you're thinking, I can do it alone. Let me tell you what, no one can do it alone. Anybody see the guy that just ran the marathon in under two hours? What an amazing feat. Anybody look at the circumstances on how he did that? They picked the perfect track on the perfect day. They had, I think, 41 or 42 other runners running with him. And they would alternate in this track, moving in in a V-shape, running in front of him. And when those guys get tired, someone else would move in. So this record will never actually be a record. Because they set it up for this one dude to win. And guess what? He didn't do it alone. There were some guys from time to time, and it's kind of interesting you read about it. They moved them in like geese, and they were making him more aerodynamic. And when those guys would say, you're going to run five miles at this pace, and when you are done, you're getting off. Other guys are going to get in. He's going to run straight behind you. They had a, instead of doing what they normally do, run by a drinking station, they had a guy on a bicycle right up next to him and provide him water while he's running making it everything perfect. Guess what? He didn't do it alone. So here's what I want to close with, guys. Y'all know how intellectual I am. How many of you know I have uh, an undergrad, two masters, and a PhD? How many of y'all know that? Just want to make sure y'all know that when I bust this out on you. Remember that great masterpiece, The Jungle Book? Some of y'all are like, yeah. That's why he got his PhD. How many of you remember the law of the jungle? Let me read it to you. Now this is the law of the jungle. As old and as true as the sky. And the wolf shall keep it. The wolf who keeps it will prosper. And the wolf who breaks it will die. As the creeper that girdles the tree trunk and the law that runneth forward and back. For the strength of the pack is the wolf, 
and the strength of the wolf is the pack. Let's pray. Guys, I pray that every man in this room would understand that they are like wolves, strong and powerful. But the strength of the pack is every wolf. But the strength of every wolf is the pack because there comes a day when we need each other. God, let us leave out of here today being reminded that there is a senselessness to one, that two are better, but three or more have a greater return for their labor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.